welcome, 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 world. Uh, this is Manage Your Damn Money with myself, Ben, and my wonderful co-host, Malcolm. This is the place where we trade in bullet point personal financial advice for casual, pop culturally relevant conversation about money, creatives, and entrepreneurship. Malcolm, what's going on? How you doing? What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Thanks for joining us again. Absolutely. Another week at 6 p.m., which means it's time to talk about money. Uh, but before we do that, uh, just a little current event news. Some good stuff going on this morning. Woke, woke up. Where's the current events tone? Well, that's coming. Okay. But I have a proof. Before we do the headlines where we review financial headlines and talk about it, uh, just some life headlines. Okay. Uh, listen to some Rick Ross today. New Rick Ross out. You like it? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, oh. Kind of like Teflon way. Don is always going to be the best. Teflon Don, Teflon Don is like one of my top five hip hop albums ever. So uh, anyway, top also five. All right, we'll, have to I, well get I'm into, not a big rap. We'll person. have to get into that. that I, I'm not a big rap person. Ever? We've we, I, I've had discussions with other people. About I could this. spend three of my top five on Jay Z albums. It, so it, I'm from California, so that doesn't even make sense to me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, uh, and then also Drake has new music out. Did you get a chance to listen to it? I gave it my best try. You gave it your best try? about track seven or eight. And okay. so you, far I, gone, Drake is so far gone. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. I feel like Drake is missing out on like a real strong piece. Like he's he's not getting all that he could give us. It may be one of those things, though, where you've been at it so long. It's like, why bother? Maybe. Like when Lil Wayne was making four mixtapes a year. Remember that? <laughs> and it was like, why not just... Take the good ones and put it into one. That Drake would, might that be would in work. The same place. But I have a theory about Drake. Okay. If he just dropped the rap thing and just focused on R and B, one hundred percent, we'd be. On you to would level. download a Drake R and B album. Absolutely, Drake. That would Drake, be a waste of forty two seconds. Drake would be all that John B could have been. Okay. Drake would owe me ten dollars for my Spotify membership. <laughs> If I downloaded that album and it was an R&B album. I want to hear Drake do an all R&B album. I already have the, the title together. He already did Summer 16. You know what the out name of this album would be? I Just Want to Sing? No. No, it's taken already. My bad. Spring Crooning. Can we move on? Can we move on? I wish get we had it. A, uh-huh. I, w- I wish uh-huh. we had a boom soundtrack right here in the studio. That's- uh-huh. That would be the Drake uh, spring crooning. Drake, we need that from you. Do we need to R&B. go to a break? No, no break. Okay. This is the okay. intro where we okay. welcome people to manage your damn money. Where okay. We talk about money and other things like Drake albums that may never come out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, as we do at the beginning of every show, we do uh, headlines, which are where we talk about financial headlines that we see in the news. And we kind of talk about them to see what we can learn from them. Uh, so interesting story from a business insider that I was actually put onto by the wife. A uh, 28-year-old woman saves 70% of her income and retires with $2 million in a bank while living in New York City. Um, this was a piece by Emmy Martin, again, on Business Insider, uh, who explored how a woman named J.P. Livingston managed to retire at the age of 28 after seven years of working in the financial industry. Um, so she was in your industry, Malcolm. That's just her rap name, by the way. J.P. Livingston? Yeah. That does sound like a She's rap She's a finance name. writer, and that's what she goes by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she definitely sounds like a rapper with a name like J.P. Livingston. Uh, but apparently, J.P. built a nest egg of over $2 million, uh, and she did it through 40% through investing, and then 60% from pure savings, allowing her to fulfill the dream 
of early retirement, which she has held apparently since uh, she was in middle school. And then here was the caveat. The one thing that I was like, oh, see, there's the catch. Okay. Uh, she apparently straight out of college was got the super hookup, earning $100,000 a year. But she chose to save 70% of her take-home pay into savings. So, like, a big caveat of this story. Maybe I'm hating a little bit. I don't know if I'd call that a super hookup, though. She it, that's not a super hookup? And she's in finance. Okay. Coming into the industry making $100,000, depending on what she did and what firm she was with, that might be on the low end a little bit for, it, oh. for an analyst. Okay. Like, if she was, like, a financial analyst at a major bank, like a J.P. Morgan or a Goldman Sachs or something like that, that's kind of on the low end. Well, I mean, well, dang. Well, I want to be on the low end of that situation any day, okay? Uh, I, you will, I don't know how she paid for school, but then you have, you know, $100,000 Harvard MBA to pay for on the backside of that, too. So you got to consider. That's true. That's true. Um, the story went on to say that uh, her and her husband had about combined expenses of about $65,000 a year. And she made some suggestions in the story um, to make it keys to making the things work that she did. I think one of the main things she focused on was like identifying her big ticket items. Right. So like, you know, rent, car or transportation. Um, she also food. mentioned buying, yeah, food. She also mentioned buying secondhand furniture as being a strategy to like making sure she's saving more than she needed to. And then also uh, she talked about, think I, I know I've heard a couple people talk about it in this way, but thinking about cost in terms of how many hours you'd need to work in order to make that amount back. I think that was my major takeaway from okay. the whole article. And not that I haven't heard that concept before, uh -huh. but it kind of just reiterated, like gave me again a reason to think about it right. or, or revisit it, which is that, you know, you calculate how much you make over the course of a year or right. a month, whatever it is, right. divide that by how many hours it takes you to make that. Absolutely. And then determine based on your daily spending, right. is it worth one hour, a half hour, or five hours of my time Absolutely. to buy this thing? And when you think about it in those terms, the answer is almost always no. <laughs> so if you're in the grocery store, right, and you're thinking about, you know, do I buy the name brand this versus the name brand coffee, for example, versus right. the store brand coffee? Like, I'm always going to buy store the brand. Starbucks make it at home coffee okay. over the, I don't know, Harris Teeter or Safeway really? or coffee. Okay. Even though I could save $2. That's but true. if you put it to me in terms of you could save X amount each time you buy a bag of coffee right. of hours out of your day or work that you have to put in, then right. I'm going to go, hmm, right. maybe I don't care so much. Really. Right. So let me ask you this. She's living in New York. She's right. making $100,000 a year. Right. I personally, my reaction to this, because I'm not in the directly in the financial industry, I felt like it was kind of a, like, it's like yeah, it's something to learn from, right? But it's also somewhat of an unusual circumstance. Like the average, I looked it up, the average uh, uh, starting salary for a college graduate in 2015 was $50,000 a year, okay. about. Um, so I, I felt like 100000 like, of course you can do well saving and maybe save nearly a million dollars. But she also lives in either the first or the second most expensive city right. in the United States, maybe behind San Francisco. Right. So you do have to take that into consideration, right? Like we live in DC and you and I talk all the time about how expensive it is to live in DC. Absolutely. Add 25% to that as far as housing and That's true. transportation so, and all that is concerned in, in New York City. So it's still a feat for sure. Right. Um, what is What does cutting back on big ticket items really look like? 
So I'm not a, I'm not gonna buy anybody's secondhand furniture, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just not prepared to make that uh, jump and say, right? I'm not prepared to make that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I could I could retire at 30 instead of 28 and and own furniture that was bought firsthand from you know the showroom. What one of my favorite couches was a $63 couch I got from a thrift store in uh, Rockville. Then maybe I don't have any good sense because it, it was the no best nap couch ever. I'm not considering a couch that costs $63. Like, who knows what else is living in that couch while that couch is living in my living room? No, thank you. But I, I, I take the point about cutting back on things like uh, food expenses, transportation, that kind of stuff. Like, I don't pay for parking where I live or where I work. Rent rent is a huge one. Like, what you pay in your monthly expenses for living is a huge expense that people... That's always going to be number one. Sometimes you can't get, really get around the cost, but then you kind of can. I remember um, I was moving out of my last apartment before I moved in with my now wife. And uh, it was out in where I live now. And it was kind of like, you know... It, was, it wasn't the greatest, but one of my buddies came to help me move out, and he walked up, and I'll never forget the way he looked at me. He was kind of just like, man, like, what? <laughs> like, and I was just kind of like, what, man? He was like, you live here for real? And I was like, I mean, the rich, you know, rent, it was rent, utilities were included, everything. It didn't look the greatest. It wasn't, like, the most comfortable. It didn't have granite countertops or anything. Uh, but, you know, it was it was cool for the time that I was there. Thanks, Brandon Lee. <laughs> um, it's still a little salty. I don't know. I just felt some kind of way like, dang, dude, you're really judging me right now. But, so we'll get into it a little bit further in the conversation about mm-hmm. love and money, right? But it's amazing what we as men mm-hmm. are willing to live with or sacrifice Absolutely. as an individual versus what you have to have once you become a couple. Yeah, like absolutely. That's extremely interesting to me. So, so then the question is this too. We talked about hundred thousand um, dollars. What are what are some ways and and, and thoughts behind people with more with more moderate modest incomes? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you shave at the margins to save some significant money, um, or you know, start a little investment fund? Like, what are some things you could do if you're more modest means and the margins on your uh, in you know leftover income is a little bit less so i think one of the the easiest ones and the 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 lowest lift is just as you have increases in pay staying at that same level of of uh spending right like just because you were at fifty thousand when you were an associate or a junior level whatever person at your company and then all of a sudden you get a raise or a promotion or you know what have you and now you're making sixty thousand. well that then means you have an additional ten thousand dollars to figure out how to save or how to you know reappropriate to paying down some debt that sort of thing right not necessarily that you need to move into the apartment across the (laughs) hall that's got an additional 300 square feet absolutely granite countertops like you're talking about and all these wonderful amenities it just means that you know you're able to move some money around and live a little bit more comfortably than you were before but not go out of control right um, that way i think that's the easiest uh answer to that and that's really living below your means right but some people are it's hard to kind of make yourself do it sometimes especially when you feel like you deserve you work hard you know that's why you hear me talk all the time about personal finance being a a personal emotional emotional, psychological thing absolutely way more than it is a technical tactical kind of thing absolutely Um, like you have to buy in all the way and the couple we're talking about she as an individual was living below her means intentionally Mm -hmm. and she was also increasing her income by investing in the stock market but then as i read deeper into the story the two of them as a collective still live that way 
Right. So she didn't allow her new partner to alter the way she managed her own money as an individual, which I think makes a hell of a difference down the road. And that's an amazing transition to what our conversation at hand is going to be later today. We're going to take a real quick break in a minute. But when we come back, we're going to get into the thick of what we've been advertising on social media all this week. Um, thoughts and feelings and everything else around love and money. I know you got some thoughts on this. I know I have some thoughts on this. Um, I'm excited to hear what we think because it'll be the first time we're sharing it yeah. when we come back. Um, so we're gonna take a real quick break. You're watching, listening to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with myself, Ben, and Malcolm. Uh, before we move forward with the show, we want to remind you, quick PSA, uh, that you can help support Manage Your Damn Money and the work that we do with your kind, wonderful purchase of my book, Fictitious Financial Fairy Tale: A Completely Untrue Story About Money, Friends, and Moscow Mules. It's available now on Amazon.com. It's a wonderful story about friends who are dealing with money issues and trying to figure out their whole financial lives as young adults living in this cold, cold world. Uh, so make sure you pick up the book. It's really funny. It's actually written as a comedy. Um, I think you really will enjoy it. So go to Amazon, Fictitious Financial Fairy Tale, written by Ben Carter. Um, so of course, today's episode, really interesting topic that people love to talk about, uh, love and money. There are so many often unspoken, unspoken ideas, perspectives, and fears, and anxieties we all harbor when it comes to love and money. Some people don't even know you're supposed to think about money when when it comes to love okay <laughs> or, or some people think you're not supposed to, to think about money when it comes to love so we'll kind of talk through that um it's interesting because we're now like approaching into our 30s you and i mm -hmm. um and it's interesting because it's uh, it, for at least for me the things that go into who you who you would want to date it, at a certain point somewhere between like 24 25 26 it's no longer wholly about dang she's bad <laughs> like it's got to be about more than her being bad 
right? It becomes about her credit score. Uh, not totally, but like, it's like. I'm glad you said that because you can't be in the club or at a tea party or something. <laughs> walk up to a girl and ask hey, her. Hey, baby. You know, don't even ask her her name. Just what's your credit? Hey, like? baby. I was thinking, <laughs> what's your credit score? <laughs> so, like, when did that start, or does, or has it? Maybe it hasn't for you. Um, when was like the first inkling for you, especially as a financial advisor? I was gonna say I'm a little bit of an anomaly. Okay. Like, what, do you think, is, what are you thinking? That has always been a part of the equation for me. This is the man who saved every penny as a ten year old and had a bank and right. So okay, I won't say I won't. I won't. You know, pretend like you know. That's the only part of the equation. Absolutely. But I will say that I pay attention to small things like that. Okay. Like, you know, how does she spend her and that's been since forever. Like how does she spend <laughs> her money? Does she ask me for money to do things that she should be able to do herself because she spent all her money on stuff that wasn't important? Things like that that actually matter that, you know, to your point, uh, the average 20-something, you're not necessarily bringing that into the equation, but right. I'm always thinking long-term, dude. That's I'm, I'm always, you got to start with the end in mind. <laughs> The same way when you when you build a business, you got to think right. about the end before the Where you're same going. exact thing. You yeah. got to start with the end in mind. So that's, I know it sounds a little crass. But it's, a little, it's a little crass. That's a little, essentially it's a, not as romantic as it's supposed to be. I'm okay with that. You're all right Marriage that. is a business. <laughs> well, well, they used to. <laughs> Do give, I need to say it again? They used to. Be, Marriage is a business. They used okay? to give away cows and like trade cows and things like that back in the day. To show wealth and deference to the family that was they still out. do absolutely. Did you buy an engagement ring when you got married? That is what happened. There you go, and there it is. Um, and so, as I wonder, as a financial professional, mm -hmm. what are some primary things that like people who you've worked with um, come to you with concerns, specifically when it comes to like their spouse or significant other or whatever? Man, <laughs> I have seen it all. Uh, well, I, a lot of it. I can't say it all because you know. You never. Every day is a new day. But right. so I'll tell you, the biggest one that uh, jumps out at me a lot of times is when I get folks that want to uh, that their household handles their money as a separate entity. Right. That happens a lot. Right. So okay. I get you know two clients together as a collective as a couple. Right. But they manage their assets separately. Wow. The two never cross intercede. Okay. And so that actually I think is a little bit counterintuitive to the point I made before about marriage being a business. Right. One of the things that's attractive to me about marriage is the fact that as a couple you can build wealth a lot faster than that you can true. as an individual that is true so you know when you think about terms of being married you have a, a, a married tax bracket so you save a little bit on uh your hits to uncle sam that sort of thing all right but then to not pull your at least some of your investments together your income together to increase uh your wealth building that way that's kind of like counter what is that's counterproductive two steps forward one step back it's very it's actually counterproductive and yeah. you just now like enlightened me just now light bulb went off i was like ah because the, because part of that i'm sure is and you can explain to me if i'm wrong um is a feeling that i earn this money and therefore i should have full control over how it's managed right is well, that is that like in there yes and no i think some of it is just uh i don't want to have to give up control of my side because to your point i've worked so hard to get to where i am to make this income that i'm so proud of i don't want you to spend it mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's it. it's the whole being in it for the love part but not for the money part and 
you right. know, that kind of thing, uh, or the opposite. Right. Um, so it, it, it makes a difference. Um, but my whole point in that is a couple who actually saves and invests together, mm-hmm. like a married couple statistically, and I actually read this in a CNBC study that was done earlier in the year, a couple who's married statistically ends up saving twice as much for retirement as an individual person does over that same span of time. Absolutely. So, I'm going to use us for example. You're married, I'm not. Potentially, you and your wife would would save more for retirement than I would be able to as an individual because we just talked about the three things that you spend the most money on. Right. Let's say your rent and my rent are the same $1,500 a month. Right. You're responsible for let's call it 750 of that right i'm responsible for the whole 1500 right absolutely. so now you have an additional 1500 roughly right between you and your wife to do whatever you save toward retirement absolutely that i don't have because i'm an individual not a married couple absolutely. so just think about that compounding over the course of a 40-year career that makes sense that makes sense um we were actually doing a lot of solicitation on social media for thoughts we actually got some uh in relation to some of the things we posted we had some cute little graphics that we created um one of them that we had read he's cute but he has one hundred seven thousand dollars in student loan debt um and we got a couple responses from that um which were might as well be twinsies because she was cool with it because she has student loan debt too that was from uh tiffany brielle and then uh somebody else responded to that one that said most people with professional degrees have a lot of student loan debt might as well you know be together meaning as long as he manages his money well to work toward paying them off and that's from lapnk 16 uh and then we had another one uh which was specifically about artists because we deal with a lot of artists and creatives here um and whether or not a person would be willing to deal with an artist because the artist income can't necessarily support a full-time family <laughs> um and then one actually an old friend from high school she's actually a singer her name is uh camila chevelle that's her, her name on instagram she says as an artist i say hell no wait she's an she artist can't herself get with another artist yes that's discrimination <laughs> it's discrimination discrimination against her own because right. she's a singer and she understands full well the cost of being a, a artist and you know having that income be sporadic um so interesting comments thank thank you all for for uh commenting on our social media post um but it's interesting we were talking about love and money uh in, in the context of couples there was a story that we pulled um which was love and money is your partner your financial soulmate this was kind of an old story from 2016 it was a fox business story by matthew labasi exploring an ameriprise financial survey from also from 2016 of couples talking to them about their spending habits and how the couples work towards financial security the study that they were reviewing showed that 77 percent of couples feel that they are on the same page when it comes to finances and that 33 percent who don't tend to argue at least once a month so those who argue more typically don't discuss finances as much right which is an interesting thing i guess that makes sense because they always say like divorces and stuff are a result of like financial stress and stress i have no idea what the actual statistics are but i'd be willing to bet a lot of money right that the majority of divorces are a result of some kind of disagreement over money absolutely absolutely the uh, story also went on to say that uh the spending limit of millennial shoppers who made a purchase without talking to their partner was between between 250 and 300 dollars whereas baby boomers the older generation spent mm-hmm. roughly 500 dollars more 500 dollars before talking to a mate so like that's like a spending limit and i've actually talked to couples before who have like household spending limits mm-hmm. where if you spend more than this amount we have to talk about it before you do it. Right. Right. Um, 
And this says that millennials have a lower bar than boomers. So boomers were out just spending money without their spouse being known. <laughs> And the millennials are more frugal, which is not what we always hear about millennials. Millenni- well, because similar studies say boomers are more likely to hide money from their really? significant others than millennials are. Mm-hmm. And then Xers are kind of just in the middle on every single stat. Right. But like supposedly millennials are more likely to pool all of their resources together. Okay. I guess it's easier to do when you don't have any. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then also millennials are a lot more likely to discuss financial matters and actually have regular conversation about their finances than boomers are hence this show right well yeah that too absolutely um but so i think some of that probably has to do with the fact that like generationally one person typically would be the one making the money working outside of the house right right, and the other person that would be their job to manage it right sure so now you have two people who are contributing let's assume equally to the household right so it has to become a little bit more of a regular conversation about what are you contributing and what am i contributing so that we both know where we stand as a collective right um which is really interesting to me like as a as a a generation that's often criticized when it comes to (laughs) financial matters often that we would be better than our parents and and uh or more more uh, some folks, their grandparents, mm-hmm. when it comes to having conversa- open conversations about finances and, and where you stand versus where I stand coming into this and that sort of thing. Absolutely. In that particular study, uh, it said 5% of respondents to that survey said they were hiding a secret bank account from their partner, uh, which is an interesting question. Do you have Have you ever had somebody come in and be like, Malcolm, look, I got this side account All the time. that my wife don't know about All the time. and I need you to help me grow it on the side without her knowing? You know what's interesting, though? It's, it's kind of the opposite of what your generalization just was. Which was? So I usually get the guy is the one who is spending money more than the wife wants. Okay. And so she is the one who has an outside account. Wow. And it's kind of like in terms of I'm doing this for us. (laughs) You don't know how to act so I got to look out for both of us. Because this fool over here. Right. I see that happen a lot more than I do the other way around. Right. Um, Which is, you know, again, some some different dynamics based on generation and all that kind of stuff. But we'll see how it shakes out for our subset. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what I see a lot with Gen Xers and boomers. Would you institute a spending limit of some kind in your future household? So here's the way I think makes the most sense, especially when you have, like I was talking about, two people who each make what they consider to be a pretty good sum of money. Right. And bringing together two separate, you know, outside asset pools. Uh Uh-huh. I personally think the whole yours, mine, and ours approach makes the most sense. Oh, yeah. So this is what I recommend all the time to, to folks when they ask me about it, where, you know, maybe our household uh, bills, our household obligations are X. We both contribute, you know, to X right. to our household to make sure that that's covered, our savings is covered, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we each have our own individual outside accounts that okay. we can do whatever we want to with. Like, okay. if you want to go buy a Range Rover, <laughs> and I personally am cool with my Nissan Altima, right. I don't want to pay for your Range Rover. Right. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Like, But if all of our household obligations are taken care of, and you right. went out and bought a Range Rover Going with ahead. your side, you know, Going ahead. it is what it is. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I feel like people in general think I'm really, like, tight in this area and i'm very liberal like i really don't care i don't track i don't check what the wife does with her money i'm just like i mean you know do like like you said i think if the basics are taken care of that's that's real our producer i don't know that i believe you 
I, you guys can't see him, but Will's offset saying the same thing I say. I I don't know that I believe you. That is 100% You may true. be saying that because you know she's watching. And she would vouch for that. Okay. okay I'm going like, to leave it alone. I don't check. You, you got to go home, so I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> Will but, uh, Will's signing that we could call her right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, she would tell you I'm, I'm being very truthful here okay. um, But of course you are listening Watching Manage Your Damn Money With Ben and Malcolm And we're talking about love and money We're going to take a real quick break But when we come back We have some more stories and, and perspective On what love and money is And different areas about it We're going to actually talk about The living situation right. uh, and, and how that can contribute To growing wealth Saving money So on and so forth So when we come back uh, More love and money Here on Manage Your Damn Money With Ben and We are back here on Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. That was uh, a second wonderful musical track by our in-house producer, Beats by Beeman. You can find his music on Instagram, uh, at Beats by Beeman. Just spell it like it sounds. Wonderfully talented dude, producing all over the country. That boy good. That boy good. That boy real good. Um, so, of course, we're talking about love and money here on Manage Your Damn Money today. Uh, and an interesting piece, a big piece, which we kind of alluded to on the way to this point, um, moving in together for mm-hmm. love or for money. And this is a big thing, I especially told you it was a business decision. It's a business decision. And now people are making the business decision in terms of moving in together, especially for millennials, mm-hmm. kind of before marriage. I mean, there, we could get into why that would be, but that's just kind of like, I, I feel like it's kind of a fact um, that that's happening more and more, certainly more than generations past. Um, it, it was actually a very recent story um, published by The Mirror, which is a publication from the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. which reported a survey from their office, their post office money mortgages. I don't know who or what that is, um, <laughs> which explores why young people decide to move in together. So this is specifically ages 18 to 34. Okay. And it says 22% of them who rent or own a home with their partner made their initial move to save cash yes so it wasn't because like we're so in love like we have to do this and we ain't getting no younger so we might as well do it <laughs> it was more so like i need to save this money and this can help do that right um the survey also found that one in four or about 24 percent of the 18 to 34 year olds who are single 
and do not own their home believe it will be impossible for them to get on the property ladder without a partner, which is a huge, like, 24% believe, like, this is not happening unless I have a spouse or significant other to kind of help with the financial aspects of it. Right. Um, so, and then the last little stat that we have here from that story, again, that one's actually posted on our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash manage your damn money. Uh, among homeowning couples in this age group, 27% feel they would only have been able to afford their property together and not as a single person. So that, those are like some pretty interesting stats which say this ain't happening if not for being together. Or you'll have to delay it. I think well, that's the, delay what? Delay the purchase process. Delay sure. buying a house. Absolutely. Or, or you just have to live in a neighborhood that's not as that not as nice up and popping like being downtown DC. Absolutely. You have to move into the suburbs. Absolutely. Else. Um, have have you seen in your you know friend group? Oh, absolutely. That like a, a trend upward in moving in together, you know as boyfriend and girlfriend or girlfriend and girlfriend or boyfriend and boyfriend have you seen like a, a trend upward in that way i have definitely okay um but i think there's a lot of factors that fall into that that break with like the whole traditional okay uh ramifications the the traditional way of seeing that whole thing like i think one of the most important things to keep in mind is our generation is getting married a lot later than Absolutely. our parents' generation, right? Yep. So, like, the average age of a man to get married is 29. The average age of a woman to get married now is 27. Right. Where it used to be 20 and 23. Wow. So, just think about how dynamic a shift that is. Right. So, if you think about the folks who are moving in together being 20 and 23 or right. 21 and 24 or whatever right. it is, they're kind of along the same lines as far as cohabitation. Right. But as far as actually getting married that doesn't happen as quickly right um and some of that goes along with like the whole stigma of living in sin <laughs> you know i'm doing air quotes here the whole stigma around it not being uh, as stringent as it used to be definitely um so you got to consider that too like where folks would get married specifically for the benefits of all all the things that come along right. the financial security for one and mm -hmm. the ability to get out of my mom and dad's house right. and, you know all that kind of stuff now you don't have as much of those pressures because your parents aren't looking at you like you're crazy Absolutely. saying you know I'm going to move in with so and so right. um, and no we're not married and no I'm not pregnant you know? <laughs> and now it's kind of like well what are y'all doing and 22 21 through or 18 through 24 or whatever they still they still as much as possible want to catch those savings I have a real quick hilarious story um when I was in, I think maybe it was before I was engaged to get married or maybe right after, but my, I was on the phone with my grandma right, and we were having a conversation and she said, well, Ben, you're not letting the devil in, are you? <laughs> what does and that I, I was like, you left the door open? I was like, what does that mean? And then she was like, you're not letting the devil in, are you? And I was like, Grandma, I seriously don't know what you mean. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, Ben, you know what I'm talking about. And like, at this point, I, I'm just reaching for anything. Like, maybe, is it because we're, ha is it like the sex thing? Is it something else? Like, what is she talking about? I really don't know. And so I said, Grandma, I really don't know what you're talking about. She said, all annoyed, y'all not living together, are you? <laughs> and that was her like, that was the way to that ask was, it. That was the way to ask it. So asking about letting the devil in <laughs> is less <laughs> insulting and offensive and, uh -huh. and, a, and a front right. than to just say, 
Are y'all living together? Right. Wow. <laughs> See, but that's my whole point about generational differences between like I, I wouldn't know what she was talking about either. It was so nonsense. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to church. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? I was at church last week. You saw me there. What are you talking about? <laughs> like so I, I agree with you on that one. I'd have been super confused. But at the same time, my grandma probably would ask me something similar. That's funny. Like, you know, I, I don't know for sure. Um, You're but not mixing mayonnaise with those potatoes now, are you? <laughs> just, That's more like a grandpa kind of just question. Just random. Uh, anyway, um, so interesting question that I have for you. Is shacking up the only way shacking up and I'm we're not saying it in a derogatory fashion like you know do what works for you um is that or having a roommate so is shacking up or having a roommate one of the primary and biggest ways to like shave those expenses um that you would otherwise be paying having a roommate yes but I've uh, there's for whatever reason there's stigma that goes along with having a roommate really that people like yeah like people shy away from it and like I, I it's weird to me but people would rather say I live with my significant other who I'm not married to, not engaged to, and not having a baby with. Right. A lot easier than they would want to say I have a roommate. I think that would I think that me. would actually be true past a certain point age-wise. Like I think once you cross out of like recent post-grad and into like you've been an adult for a little while now, I think that certainly play into it like you don't necessarily want to have a roommate i, I guess but yeah like th that's just interesting to me that that one stigma got traded for another right like, you know and and as we're talking about you know like quote unquote living in sin um <laughs> letting the devil in that right <laughs> letting the devil in letting the devil is more of a thing that you're willing to deal with than right. Uh, having a roommate of the same sex or even the opposite sex that's just a roommate right right and um, we actually we actually uh posted speaking of rent and housing expenses uh because this is something that's come up for me a couple times like talking to different people and different couples or not couples whatever um should couples split rent and expenses even evenly um or should it be according to who makes the greatest income so that's a really tough one. Okay. Um, because like I said, you have... So this is why it's so difficult for folks to talk about money in any like meaningful kind of way with okay. their significant other. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of emotion, uh, emotional attachment that goes along with what you're able to contribute. Absolutely. So like oh, I've, yes. read, I've read stories where you have folks who are like, you know, he or she makes more money than I do. Right. And I feel like I'm always on the short end of the decision-making right. process oh, because wow. I don't contribute as much to the household budget. That's deep. Or, and, and not even necessarily like that person told me I don't have the ability to say as much say or as much authority, it's but just, just feeling. I feel like I don't have as much. Or the other person makes significantly more than I do and they're accustomed to a different way of living than I, I am sure. because they can afford it right. and I can't. I would much rather live the way I normally would live, but that person isn't comfortable living down to my, you know, level dollar menu standards. <laughs> they would much rather go out every single night and spend, you know, $25, $30 on dinner and so on and so on. Absolutely. So I think, but that's essentially the things that go along with having those kind of conversations mm -hmm. way ahead of time. Um, you know, at the time you say, yes, let's get married. Those are the kind of things you should be talking about. You need to be doing that before that. Sure. I mean, so uh, don't get me wrong. I know I understand there's a, a certain amount of pretending that goes on in the beginning. Right? <laughs> like me and my girlfriend go out all the time now and use coupons. 
Right. And like it's the it's the best thing ever using like Groupon right. uh, deals or Living Social deals right. uh, or uh, gift cards or whatever. Mm. And like we laugh about the fact that we just had a hundred dollar dinner for forty bucks. Like that's something that is like fun yeah, for us, right? But at the same time. I wouldn't have sprung a coupon on her in the first right. couple months of right, us, right, right, you know, right, right, like, right. so I'm being, I'm trying to be a little bit realistic about it, but at right. some point you got to let your real self sure. come out and your real, uh, uh, financial situation, sure. as, as Kevin Hart said, stay in your financial lane. <laughs> like you got to, at some point, get back in your financial lane and be right. honest about where you are. Absolutely. Y'all's family is going to be so thrilled. Them kids are going to be like, daddy, we got coupons. For you know what? My mom clips coupons for me. Oh wow! Like my mom, as she's going through her Sunday paper on, on like the weekends, and she actually, and she sends them to you. Or yeah, you go buy. When I go, so I go by and visit my mom every week, <laughs> like a good son. Uh huh. So when I go by and see her, uh -huh. she's got uh, like twenty <laughs> coupons for like stuff that she's like, I thought you might use this, and fifty percent of the time it is stuff I'm actually gonna use. So it's actually interesting to me, like that. You know, that oh, is man. is something that. Uh, I'll, I'll continue through my lineage. You're absolutely. absolutely right. My kids are going to get excited about coupons. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, of course, you're watching and listening to uh, Manage Your Damn Money with myself, Ben, and Malcolm. And today's conversation at hand is love and money. And in this next segment of this section of the show, um, we had another story that we pulled up which was a response piece. So it's kind of one of those where you get to like um, send your questions to such and such. And then such and such will will respond. Um, this is from the Moneyologist on MarketWatch.com. Uh, the title was "My husband's bad credit means our mortgage will cost more than three hundred dollars more a month." So they're gonna get more. There's gonna be three hundred dollars more a month because of her husband's bad credit. Um, and the response letter, the response, the letter went to Quentin Fortrail, who is the personal finance editor at MarketWatch.com. Um, the wife posed the question of whether or not she should forego having her husband's name added to the deed of the house due to his poor credit score. Apparently, he like missed a, like a payment somewhere along the line, so it kind of dropped his score at the time they were looking to purchase. Why she throw that man under the bus like? Yeah, that? she said it's him. <laughs> it's him. It's not me. <laughs> no, it probably. I, I've seen situations like that. Uh -huh. Where the other person's pride comes in and they're like, I would rather pay the additional whatever oh, a month. Right. Yeah. And we both be on the mortgage or the, you know, the, the property itself. Right. Than to have you buy it without me and it be a hit. And it's, it's almost always guys. Right. And it be a hit <laughs> on, my, on my manhood right. to not be able to be a part of the, the mortgage. Like you can at the closing table add that person's name to the deed absolutely and you can refinance it down the road once your credit gets better right and that's what the uh response was from uh quentin fortrell where he said um the well actually another detail of the situation was the wife was the only person who was going to be contributing to the down payment on the home well there you go so that was like another like i guess thing that was kind of interesting detail and then uh fortrell pointed out the 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 uh editor pointed out that many couples go with one person's income and credit score to buy homes uh just making sure to simply make sure the payments are something that can be handled um he also noted that it's important uh if you want to to add that person on like you said at the closing or when you refinance so it's really not a huge deal um i'm way too much of a tightwad to, to lose 300 bucks a month yeah because i because in my mind i'm thinking you could just simply wait to buy a house until his credit score kind of 
adjust or itself. That. It doesn't even take. It doesn't take. Like, how often we'll, we'll do a show on credit score specifically one day soon. Uh, but it, your credit score dips, or the cycle dips, to see how good you've been doing. Like, what every six months or something like that. It it adjusts monthly. Yeah. So you're right. You could just wait a little while. It, it, but still, it gets at the root of the issue, which is which is ego. Right. More than I care about my budget right. and my long term financial sense. Sure. Like that $300, let's say it's their dream home. Uh-huh. And if they don't buy it today, it's going to disappear. So yeah. now we can't afford to wait a month right. because we got to get this house. This is the house. This is the house. Then buy the house. Uh-huh. Do what you got to do to get in it. Uh-huh. If if it's going to hurt your pride that much, <laughs> add his name to the deed uh-huh. and move on. Right. Get your house. Right. But so that's that kind of goes to the same like scenario where you have like uh, guys who their significant other, their their lady makes more money than they do, mm-hmm. and they have a hard time dealing with it. Right. I know you're not a Martin watcher, so you probably don't remember the I, episode. I, I, I when do he found recall. Out Gina made more money I do him. recall. But I do that recall. is like one of the best Martin episodes. <laughs> and the first question he asks is, "How long you been making more money than me?" Uh. <laughs> so just you know, that kind of thing is like. You, ingrained. Listen, I have zero problems with a woman making more money than me, honey. Bring it on in. Bring it on <laughs> in. Okay? Uh, so anyway, uh, I don't even know what I was about to ask now. Uh, so... So this is an interesting question, especially right. in the lead up. Like it's one thing when you've already bought the product and like you're in the marriage and mm-hmm. you see you see that like oh man this financial these person this person's financials are defective. Um, you already bought the product. <laughs> but what like if you're walking up to a more serious relationship, right? Or like you're considering marriage or it's like in the in the viewfinder ahead. Um, how do you deal with somebody who has like a significantly different not only like situation but also perspective like let's deal with the perspective part. yeah i think i think perspective is more important than situation okay because situation like we just talked about with the whole credit score situation being kind of temporary right absolutely as long as your perspective is one that says i'm gonna fix it right as soon as i can get this thing off my credit report and right. then my score goes up and whatever right then it's not as essential but if you're dealing with somebody whose perspective is different from yours who right. says if it's there i'm gonna spend it right or if i made it it's mine or, you know <laughs> what i mean dealing with that kind of stuff uh-huh. is a lot more important to me than right where we are right now today because we can That's always real. make more money right. down the road and, than we make today and things certainly change over time right. uh, especially as we continue to work towards what we're doing uh, well, we're going to take a real quick break in a moment, um, but we are talking about love and money here on Manage Your Damn Money. Myself, Ben, and Malcolm, we want to remind everyone listening and watching uh, that if you don't catch the live version on Mondays at 6 p.m., you can always catch us on iTunes, uh, and you can just search us on the podcast I- iTunes app, uh, type in Manage Your Damn Money, and then also you can find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash manage your damn money, and you can see every episode that we've done in the past and the ones that we've done more recently um so it's interesting what about resentment before we go to break real quick uh resentment being caused in a relationship as a result of like i'm I, i'm just saying broadly financial ineptitude <laughs> like is that something that can happen like can, in a relationship can you develop resentment because someone else is like of course thinking up the joint of course of course you can i mean just <sighs> What is it the Bible says about being equally yoked? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Rhetorical question. Uh-huh. I'm just, that's how I'm going to answer your question. 
<laughs> what is it that the Bible says about being equally yoked? All right. And I'm going to just, that, that's my answer to you. Pastor Malcolm was going to drop it right there <laughs> and leave it right there. And with the, with the reference to the good book, I think that's a good time to take a real quick break. Uh, you are listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with uh, myself, Ben Carter, and Mr. Malcolm Etheridge. We're talking about love and money. Malcolm, you had a very incredible, awesome, wonderful story. I want. What did you find? So when we were talking, when we were batting this back and forth, doing a little bit of research for the show, I stumbled across an article from MarketWatch.com mm -hmm. that was extremely interesting to me because it started talking about how married men make more money than single men. Hallelujah. And then single women uh -huh. make less money than married women in the same age wow. bracket. So okay. from 22 to 32, okay. married men make more money okay. than single men, 22 to 32, and then women, same thing. Wow. And some of the reasons behind that were uh, men are more likely to spend more hours at work when they're married. <laughs> Go figure. And then women are more likely to spend more hours at home when they're married. Okay. So if you look at it just for that reason uh, there's a there's a solid reason to get married um for the guys um but then as we see in a lot of different st case studies that we look through uh -huh. the ladies get kind of the short end yeah on, you know absolutely uh, and then there's already like income inequalities and, and, and that kind of thing but in that 10-year window it's actually really interesting and then there's a lot of like sociological things that go along with it like employers wanting to see more stability from the guy and if he's right. married then he's more go, go. Uh, more likely to be here permanently Man, and all that kind look. of stuff and then they look at the woman and say she's more likely to need to take maternity sure. leave soon and that kind of stuff right. so those things are actually really and then when you're a single woman you have more hours free that you can work right so let's say you're an attorney okay. for example okay you have far more hours to be in the office working on cases later into the night absolutely than a married woman would sure 
And then on the flip side, a guy is more likely to want to leave and go date and go to bars and whatever else mm -hmm. than a married guy is. Right. saying, well, you know, home just, is fine. I'll, I'll get there when I get there. <laughs> that kind of I'm thing. I'm going to just do this Excel spreadsheet real quick. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get these coins. <laughs> right, right. Go absolutely. get the money. Go get the money. <laughs> so when you think about it from that perspective, right. it's actually extremely interesting. Like the numbers behind it like are glaring differences. Absolutely. So the lesson in that little piece is... Find some nice girl you can marry so you can make you some more money if you're a guy. And then if you're if you're a woman, what's the takeaway for, for, for the ladies? Delay, delay. <laughs> I, I don't, that's the that's a counterintuitive message we're giving. Wait a minute. Well, it is and it isn't. Maybe uh, it's it's kind of the silver lining to the whole, you know, my true. grandma's putting pressure on me and saying, you know, or my mom at this point is putting pressure on me saying, When are you gonna give me some grandbabies? <laughs> Maybe your counteract counter counter counterpoint to that is, well, I'm getting this money. Ma, this study says right. That I, I, I will put the the study up on Facebook. Right. You can use this study, print it out, take it to your next family reunion, Thanksgiving, that kind of thing. So when your relatives start hassling you, just hand it out. Just hand like it out. Flyer. Say this is my reasoning. Hey, I'm gonna make an extra sixteen thousand dollars a year because I got free time to go. Uh, Meanwhile, you taking George and Kendra to daycare. <laughs> Not oh, making man. no money. Don't even bring daycare into it. Then that whole thing just oh <laughs> absolutely, my God. absolutely. That's look. We're not even talking about that right, right. now. Uh, <laughs> so of course you've been listening to and watching Manage Your Damn Money. Uh, that's all of that we have for this show. But we want to remind folks. Um, we try to highlight and bring and show and shed a light on uh, entrepreneurs. One of the entrepreneurs we had recently on the show was uh, Laura Layton. She sells uh, clothing out the back of a truck. Um, but we want to encourage those who are interested in coming on the show to sign up for The Others. Uh, and The Others is a wonderful initiative where we're calling on creatives and entrepreneurs to share their story. Here every month, um, we'll be highlighting ind individuals who have successfully turned their passion into a side hustle and those who have so turned their side hustles into their careers. Uh, so if you're interested in that, all you have to do is go to manageyourdamnmoney.com backslash The Others. Um, and eventually, hopefully, we'll come around to uh, getting you on the show to share your story and to help us learn a little bit more about like what you have to do to learn money as a creative um a couple shows ago we talked about taxes and how that can impact those with like creative 1099 income that's one of the toughest parts of being the boss oh my gosh deal with the irs oh my goodness it's it's man anyway <laughs> uh so of course we want to thank everyone for um listening to our show this week um we don't know what we're talking about next week do we we got a million ideas in the hopper, right? We got a million ideas, so we'll, we'll pick one of them and then pub them on social media as we normally do. Um, but of course, if you'd like to... You already worry about next week. This was a pretty good show. I, We we should celebrate this one as we normally do. I think do. we stayed out of hot water. We were not in hot water at all. So there's that. Let's, let's celebrate today's show. All right, indeed. Celebrate today because tomorrow's not promised. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I just meant it. What a, like, what a note to go out on. I was just trying to like do like the wrap up. You've been thing. listening to the Rick Ross today and it hits you in your chest. Is that what it is? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Maybach music got you in the heart. No, 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 no. Maybach music. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, of course, we want to thank you all for watching. We clearly have nothing else to talk about. So uh, <laughs> just a quick reminder, you can follow myself at MYDM1 on all social media. Malcolm, where can people find you? At Malcolm on Money. Absolutely. And you can always find us at ManageYourDamnMoney.com. And we will see everyone next week. Um, remember to download our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. And until next week, be good with your money. And I'll see you next week, Malcolm. Peace. Peace. Peace.